0: Good morning. If you'd like to follow with the pew Bible, um, we're reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning, and it's found on page eight seventy four in the pew Bible. Eight seventy four. We'll begin reading at verse at chapter Luke fourteen. Begin reading at uh, verse twelve this morning and it's titled The Parable of the Great Banquet. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return, and you are repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot pay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First said to him, I have brought a field and must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes in the city of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This ends the reading of the message this morning. Thank you.
1: Thank you for reading that. Um, you know, I'm feeling kind of hungry after talking about a banquet. Maybe I should have had breakfast this morning. Well, I wanted to welcome the Malagasy Church. That was very beautiful to listen to, and it just, it makes me think of what we get to look forward to. Different tribes, different languages, all worshiping the same God. Today we're talking about the parable of the great banquet, and my question is, who are you in this great banquet? Now, I'm going to give some context here because Jesus was giving a couple of parables at this time. And the context here is that Jesus was speaking to a group of Pharisees. There's also, it's also mentioned that there are lawyers there. And then there's one person in their midst, a person with abnormal swelling, somewhat of an outcast, right? You can imagine somebody with abnormal swelling at this time, there, you know, you don't have modern medication, but I think we've all kind of experienced this a little bit, right? We've, there was a lot of fear around COVID, and there was that time where it's like, oh, you're coughing? Stay away from me. So you can imagine what that was like. So 12 through 14, I'm going to reread it for you, gives a lot of context for this parable. So it says, he said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now sometimes... I think we like to focus on our own invitation, right? We, we look forward to this feast. We look forward to this banquet. And we don't often consider the people around us, the people down the road, our co-workers, the sick, the people we don't like, right, our enemies. Our focus when it comes to the banquet, so looking towards eternity, should be, who else can I bring? That should be our focus. We already have the invitation, right? If you've accepted the invitation, you're already going. Now the question is, who else can I bring? Now, if you see in the first few verses of this passage, there's there's a keen focus here. Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your family. Don't invite those close to you. Don't invite your rich neighbors. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying, don't send the invitation out to those people. Don't share the gospel with them. But I think he's saying something more here. I think he's saying, look around you. Look at the people that you interact with on a daily basis. God wants them to know him, right? He wants to draw them to himself. Now, of course, invite your family members. Invite your friends. Invite your loved ones. But that should not be your only focus. That should not be the only people that you look forward to. And then there's something else here we see. We see that don't invite the rich people. Because sometimes, I think Jesus knows who, the type of people we are. We're, we tend to be selfish, right? We're all thinking of ourselves and we're like, yeah, I can, I can, I can do that. Sometimes we're looking forward to a repayment from those friends. If I invite them to this banquet, if I invite them to church and they, they make friends and, and they get plugged in, maybe they'll, they'll feel like they owe me. Maybe that rich person, that, you know, if I'm ever in a, in a tight spot, they'll let me, you know, they'll pay a couple bills for me. Jesus is saying those are, those are two earthly focuses that, that you do not need to stay on. And we get to verse 15. It says, When one of those who reclined... At table with him, heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So, this feast, right, we get to look forward to. It says you're blessed, right? If you have this to look forward to, this is something that makes you blessed. Is it something you look forward to? Do you look forward to heaven? Amen? But, our focus shouldn't just be on heaven. Sometimes we get too focused on heaven that all we want is the banquet. All we want is to spend that time with Jesus. All we want is to be in eternity. So Sometimes we accept Jesus and say, I'm going to the banquet, and we take our seat in the pew, and we say, all right, come back, Jesus, I'm ready. And that's it. This is where it ends. So, Where's your focus at? Because Jesus died for the entire world, right? For the sins of all people that anyone that would accept him could have eternal life. So we should want everybody to know the grace that God gives to us. Verse 16 says, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Okay? The invitation is for all. This banquet's going to be huge. There's going to be a lot of people there. There's a lot of people invited. And Jesus is, is, this is kind of right where he's starting the parable. He's starting to go into this illustration. Now, given the context, right, he was talking to Jewish people, Pharisees, leaders, successful people. There's a lot of successful people that have, that, if you think of Pharisees, they're high religious people, high people of stature. The Jewish people were obviously God's people at the time. A lot of people weren't thinking that they were invited to have a seat at the table. And you think of lawyers, you might think of, and if, if you know your Bible well, you're probably saying, well, Pharisees are not really the best people. Lawyers, uh, there's a lot of lawyers that aren't the best people. But these are successful people, right? And a lot of them didn't get into it for selfish reasons, right? Maybe they have a sense of justice. They want to see a sense of justice. Maybe they got into it for all the right reasons. But there were specific guests invited. Now, how can we look at ourselves as this? Well, if you've grown up in church or you're in church now, if you're a faithful follower, you can say, well, we have to be careful not to become like the religious people, right? Right? Don't make it just a religion. You want to have a relationship with God, something that is ongoing. Now, when it comes to successful people, we see this in our world all the time. There are plenty of successful people, and there are people that, if you're successful, you probably have some bit of moral standing, right? You're a person of high character. Typically, good jobs aren't going to hire somebody they can't trust, somebody of good character. A lot of the qualities that we value in our culture are biblical qualities. So when it it comes to these people, I want you to think about, how do I fit with these people? Because the successful people, the religious people, sometimes are the first ones to make excuses, right? And that's when we start getting into the excuses. So, verse 17, it says, And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, I don't know about you, but can you hear the excitement in his voice? I'm, I've been preparing this banquet, I invited people. You know, it's not that he just invited them. We don't know how much time went in this parable, right? But likely given Jewish custom, there was some level of time that was waiting. And there's probably people that said, yeah, I'm coming. I'll be there. I want to be there. Now, you can think of the servant as one of two people, and I want you to think of the servant as both because I think it's important to see the servant as Jesus, right? Right? servant is the one that's going out and inviting people. But the other person that we can see the servant is, is ourself. And the reason I think it's important to look at both is because, really, we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. We're supposed to look and act like Christ. Do the things that he would have done. Now, he went to go get the religious person, right? We see Paul come to faith. But we also see him go for the thief. We see him go for the tax collector. The servant goes out and invites people. And again, considering the context, likely he was inviting Jewish people. So can you hear the excitement? This this banquet is ready. Come, come, come. We're ready. Then we get into verse 18. It says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, "I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused." So excuse number one. We see the cares of this world. We get entrenched in the cares of the world. Now, remember what I said about successful people, right? Successful people tend to be pretty morally upstanding people of character. But when you're successful and you have so many things, it's easy to get distracted. Now, if you're you're looking even at this story, this parable, this is a pretty weak excuse, right? I went out and bought a field, but I haven't even seen it. Like, it's almost like he's trying to get out of it. Now, Maybe you've been in that position where you, you really don't want to go to something, so you make up some sort of excuse. But imagine, for instance, you buy land, some land for a property you're going to have or a house. You're probably going to inspect it long before you get like, you buy it, right? You're going to say, okay, this looks good, this is healthy, this isn't you know, swamp land, there's not water where I want to put this building. But he bought this land without even thinking about it. Now, deceitfulness of riches. Do you make excuses based on the things that you have or the things that you want when it comes to spending time with God? Whether it's here in church, whether it's in a small group, whether it's time in prayer or your devotions. What are you doing with your time? Then we see excuse number two in verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go examine them. Please have me excused. So you might say, well, I'm never going to buy an ox, right? This falls into the category of deceitfulness of riches, okay? Now, something that you could probably correlate this in modern day is a car. What a a nice car. I bought this new car, and I got to go check it out. How many of you guys have bought a car without first test driving? You see where these excuses start to play out? They, send, they, they tend to be pretty weak, right? They're, the argument is like, all right, you bought an ox. You don't see how healthy it is. It could be a really weak ox. It could be a, a sick ox. And you bought them, and, and you can't even come to the, the banquet that I prepared for you? You must not like me or something. And we get to excuse number three. And this one seems to be the most plausible. So, verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the danger with excuse number three is the pleasures of this life. Again, if we go down the list, these things aren't bad things, right? In themselves, they're not bad things. But when they take the role of God in your life, they become a problem. Now, this one's my favorite. and I don't think there's a lot of teenagers here because a lot of them are heading to camp. But anybody that's spent time around teenagers, and everybody in this room was a teenager at one point, we know how they are, the relationships, right? One week they're dating this person, the next week they're broken up, and then the next month they're dating somebody else. And you're like, wow. (laughs) But in this case, right, we see how relationships can take away from the relationship with the master, the person throwing the banquet. And I'm a pretty observant person. I'm only 27. And I've seen so many people put relationships ahead of God. They put a relationship ahead of God and they say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, he'll come to church eventually. And sadly... Many of them, it does not end good, right? It ends in tragedy. It ends in a breakup. Decisions that they shouldn't have made. Divorce. Now praise God that He gives us grace, right? We don't have to live with some of those decisions. But sometimes those, those decisions pull us away from our first true love that should be Christ. Now, these are hard things to chew on, right? The Bible is a hard thing to chew on because it challenges all of us in one way or the other. Now, the top three reasons for church attendance declining. Now, we're getting into some of the excuses. So I'm just going to read them here for you. Now, there was actually ten and I'm going to go from the top three, and I'll, I'll share some more later. So number one, greater affluence. So money gives people options, right? And I think we see this in this story. If your church is at all engaging the middle class, the upper middle class, or the suburban demographic, an interesting trend is developing. The middle class is shrinking, but the New York Times reports show that it's shrinking in part because the middle class is becoming the upper class, we have more money, we have more time to do things, we start spending our money different ways, and, and sometimes that pulls us away from church activities. And I'm not just saying Sunday, right? Because you can be fully a committed follower of Christ and not be here every Sunday. But there should be an involvement in the body, right? There should be an involvement, but sometimes we get distracted with our toys, our grown-up toys, right? we got a car, we got a boat, you're probably thinking of something that you would want. We have number two. A higher focus on kids' activities. A growing number of kids are playing sports, and a growing number of kids are playing on teams that require travel. Many of those sports happen on weekends, and affluent parents are choosing sports over church. Again, I'm not saying that the issue is missing once in a blue moon, but when there's a consistent trend... That's ruling your life. Who is God in your life? The third thing, obviously more money, more travel, right? Despite environmental concerns, travels on the rise, and most people are taking far more than the old standard one vacation a year. More and more families of various ages travel for leisure, even if it's just out of town to go camping or to a friend's place for the weekend or a weekend at the lake. When people are out of town, they tend not to be at church. Now, again, church isn't the issue. It's not just being at a pew. I I don't want you just sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back. But there should be an involvement, right? There should be a regular involvement with the body and with your Father. So now we get to verse 21. And I'm just going to read the first half of the verse because there's there's two things that I want to pull out of this. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, I'm going to stop right there. Now this is where things start to take a turn, right? We see the master become angry. We don't like to think of God as angry, right? We like, and especially in, in my generation, we love to focus on God's grace. God loves me. You know, God is gracious. And sometimes that creeps into a sinful lifestyle, right? We say, well, God will forgive me, so I can can trip up here. It's no big deal. It's just once. Once becomes twice, three times. We get so obsessed with this idea that that God is going to forgive us and that God is grace and that he's like a friend to me, right? And anybody that has a close friend knows that every now and then you guys aren't going to agree. You guys aren't going to get along. Good friendships work through those things, right? Good marriages work through those things. But we don't take God as the Father in heaven that we don't want to disappoint. If you think about God, think about your own father, your own parents. If you had a good relationship with them, right? Even if you had a good relationship with them, there was still a level of fear, right? I don't want to be disciplined, right? When I was was younger, it was was the belt. you would just like stare at you. And you'd be like, uh, I'm going to think twice. Some of you, right, would do anything to have another moment with your parents. Is that the attitude that you have when it comes to spending time with God? Do you want to spend that time with Him? Do you value the time that you have with Him? The second part of this verse. So he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. So now we see an ordering of the outcast. right? We see him going out into the streets and alleys. Now when I think streets and alleys, I don't think the most safe place on earth. I don't think the nicest people on earth. You know, when I'm thinking streets and alleys, I'm thinking, you know, drug dealers, I'm thinking people that might hurt you. Right? I, I, my mind actually goes to Batman, right, with his parents, and they're in that kind of dark alley. You're not thinking the safest people. And then we're, we're talking about not the wealthy people, the poor, the weak, the blind, the lame. People that it takes an effort to go get. People that it takes energy to go get. That's the servant's job. Go out and reach those people. Then we get to verse 22. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. So, two things I want to I take from this. Okay? When you, when you think about the servant, do you think about yourself? Does God tell you to do something, and you just say, Yes, sir, I'm going to do that. What you have commanded, I have done. And then we see that there's still room. The servant fulfilled his job, and yet there was still room for more. It makes you wonder how many people did he truly invite? Let's go on to verse 23. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So now the master is telling the servant, Go near and far. Go out to the hills in the country. Go out to the people that, maybe they, they're living out there because they don't like people, right? Maybe they're farmers. Maybe they're, You get a wide variety of people. And when you are going out and you're meeting a lot of people and you're, and you're trying to bring people to know who Jesus is, what are their responses, right? A lot of people think, oh, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to go to this banquet. I have tattoos or I don't have nice dress clothes. If I walk into this banquet or if I walk into church, I might just burn up. You know, I'm so sinful that I, I can't be there. And the problem is, In our world, we like to think because people throw Jesus' name around that they know who he is. We like to think that, that they know the gospel. The reality is, people have a lot of thoughts about Jesus, but so many people don't even know what the gospel is. They don't know the hope that is Christ. So, our job is to compel people, as this states. Are you out compelling people to know Jesus? Are you trying to convince them to say Jesus is the only way? Now, number four, it's not going to be on the screen, but number four in the article about why church attendance is declining is that there are more blended and single-parent families. Now, I want to stop there because this is actually a good thing. There are more of those families being involved in church. But the downside of that is when you have blended single families looking at their attendance, they might only be here 26 weeks of the year. So you're having less of a regular attendance because they're at their parents the next week. They're going back and forth. Now, how do we look at people that walk in this building? How do we treat the people that walk in this building? Are we concerned with their spiritual walk or are we just concerned that they're here? Because, number four, you might only see them half the year. I'll get more to that. Verse 24. Now, this is the scary verse, right? This is the one that's like, ooh, this one will really convict us. It says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet." Again, we love to focus on God's grace. And God gives us more than enough. But I think this is here to just tell us, don't get distracted with the things of the world. Don't let that take your ultimate focus. Don't let that take your ultimate love. Because we love to fall in love with different things. Our hearts are idle factories, right? If you think about for an example, Noah's Ark, right? Good story. You learned it in Sunday school as a young kid. They had time to repent. Now, there, there's a lot that I could dig into in that story. But on, on the surface, they had time to repent. They, it took Noah a long time to build that ark. They were just laughing, wasting their time. But when the rain came, pretty sure everybody wanted in the ark. See, there are many invited. We don't if we look at this passage and we start seeing all the people that are invited, we don't really see anybody that's not invited. But there's a lot of people that reject the invitation. Again, and these people don't outwardly reject the invitation. They say, Yeah, I want to be at the banquet. Yes, I want God. Yes, I've said yes to Jesus. But I'm just looking forward to the banquet. I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait for that banquet. You see, the people that were invited, again, they had their lives put together. They had things that they could really spend their time on, focus on. They had good careers. They had money. They had toys. They had land. And yet, we see at the end, those are the people that we're not going to be in the banquet. So how have you been spending your time? Have you become like the religious person? Like the Pharisee? Do you shun the outcast? Right? Because we know that at the beginning of this context, there was somebody that didn't quite fit in. Do you welcome them? Are you concerned with them? God's going to grow his kingdom one way or the other, right? He's inviting people. He's changing hearts. But when we think about church, when we think about the body, do we think about the people that walk in every Sunday? Do we think about the single mom or dad? Do we think about the person that's sick? Do we think about the person that partied on Saturday night, but they chose to come to church because they're realizing that it's not quite satisfying and there's got to be something more. What about the rebellious teenager? It's always causing trouble and you see him causing trouble. Are you part of their life? You see, because it's easy to love your own. We all love our own. We love people that are like us, you see, it in, you see it with high schoolers, right? High schoolers, if you would walk into a cafeteria, you'd see every click of people, all sitting with people just like them. Church can be like that, and it's, it's, it's a dangerous place if it becomes like that. It's easy to show up on Sunday and go right towards the friends that you always go towards. The same friends that are always there, catch up on your week without making an effort towards the new person. The new family the person that doesn't look as clean as everybody else, isn't dressed up, or you're, you know, you, you kind of look at them and like, have you ever been to church? It's easy to say we're a loving church and a friendly church when we're only loving and friendly to those that we already know. It should challenge us all because the invitation is for all. Number nine on why church attendance is declining. Valuing attendance over engagement. When someone merely attends church, the likelihood of showing up regularly or even engaging their faith decreases over time. Ironically, if you value attendance over engagement, you will see declining attendance. See, God is going to work in the hearts of his people. Our job is to go out and share the invitation. One of the greatest commands that Jesus gave is to go out and make disciples of all nations. Now sometimes we become preoccupied with worldly affairs. What are the excuses that that you make? What are the excuses that you make for not being involved? What are the excuses that you make for not being here on Sunday? Maybe there's other activities through the week that you just go, eh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't show up on Sunday, right? Everybody deserves vacation. Everybody deserves time away. But it's very easy to slip through the cracks and one week becomes two and now you're missing two weeks a month. Now you're only showing up on Sundays. Now you're only showing up when you're serving. Again, again, These people, they never said they didn't want the master. We see it in our world all the time, right? We love, the world loves to say, well, you know, God is loving, God is gracious. And the problem that I'm seeing in my generation is that that's all they want to focus on. There's no aspect of like, what's repentance? What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to spend time? I don't don't have time for that or I don't want to do that, that. That costs too much. Everybody wants God kind of as their idol statue in the background. But if you're putting God at the forefront of your life, and you take a moment to even look at the cross and recognize that Jesus died on that for you, do any excuses, anything that you put ahead, do they matter? Church is not about you and me. It's all about Jesus. Now, if you're not being the servant, like the servant was, if you're not going out and reaching people, you've become like the religious person. You're just sitting and waiting. Something that I think is always important to remember. The next generation, nobody is saved. Nobody comes into this world knowing Jesus. The Bible clearly states that we are enemies of God. Until you accept Christ, you are an enemy of God. So until you make Jesus God of your life, you're out living in rebellion. Sometimes people that grow up in church are the most stubborn when it it comes to coming to Christ, right? I'm sure you've all seen somebody that You know, they're rebellious while they're a teenager. I know I was rebellious. I was the one running around and causing trouble and i get yelled at every week. Our job is to go out and invite all those. The ones in this building, it's your job to reach them. But it's also your job to reach the ones outside this building, too. Because when those even inside our building grow up and reject Christ... It's not on us, right? We have to do our best to reach them, but at the end of the day, they have to make that decision. They have to make the decision to accept the invitation. But there's a whole world of people out there that don't know the gospel, and they're not going to be reached without our effort. For the church to grow and thrive, it's not just about reaching our own kids, It's not just about reaching our own families, our own friends, our peers. It's about going out and being the servant and giving that invitation to everybody. So you are one of three people. The first person you are is you are the person that is too busy or unintentionally rejecting Jesus. You're too busy, caught up in worldly affairs, toys, time. Again, nobody ever says, I don't want God. But you show it with your actions. Why is is repentance so important in the aspect of your faith? It's not that you're not saved from sin. It shows your faithfulness. And we know all throughout the Bible, there are people, the Bible is full of people that are not faithful. Faithful that fail and mess up but they turn back they make God a priority the second person you are you're the servant listening to the master and going out and reaching those for the banquet you should be able to name people that you're trying to reach people that you are praying for people that are involved in your circle the danger is becoming so much in this circle, in this building, that we don't reach anyone else. If you're on this earth, the only reason you're here still after you get saved is so that you can bring people to the banquet. It's a long time to wait if you're just sitting around waiting. And then the third person you might be is you're the person currently being invited. Now, the invitation is for everybody. The invitation can be for you right now if you have not accepted that invitation. Maybe you don't know what that invitation entails. There are elders here willing to to share that invitation with you. But we all live and have lived sinful lives. And Jesus lived a perfect life for all of us. Now, if you died, where would you be going right now? If you've accepted that invitation, you know that you are on your way to eternity in paradise with Jesus. But if you haven't accepted that invitation, your sins will keep you separated from God. Jesus died for us. He lived a perfect life, and then he proved that he conquered death by rising from the grave. So the question that we all should ask is have you accepted it? Have you accepted that invitation? Now is always the time. And how can you share that invitation with others? Let's pray. Father, I just, I thank you that we are invited to the banquet. God, I just, I think of all the things that can entrench us and and trap us and deceive us into the lies that they promise more than you. That this world has something more to offer than you. God, I pray that you become our ultimate focus. You become our ultimate love. That you are everything to us that we don't miss out on the banquet that you have. God, I just pray that we are like the servant that is going out and saying, hey, this banquet is coming. You got to be there. I pray that you give us a boldness to go out and share the gospel, to live out the truth. God, I pray that you, you help us reach and give us the words to say when we're not sure what to say but to say that there is a banquet coming. I don't know when, but you're coming back. And when you come, that banquet is going to happen and it's going to be glorious. And as great as it is to focus on that, I just pray that, that our focus is on bringing others to that. Encourage us. Show us your love on a daily basis as you do always. Show us your grace. And I just pray that that motivates us and fuels us to go out and reach those around us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.